0: Hey everyone, I'm Amy Barajas, and this is The Nikki Family, a podcast dedicated to families that are going through the NICU experience. Through this podcast, I hope you find support, community, and hope by connecting you to other families that have been in your shoes. Hey, Nikki family. Welcome back to today's episode. Today, our guest is Diana, and she will be telling us the story of Jonah. Diana is actually married to my cousin, so we're family, and she has the sweetest family. So I'm really excited for you to hear her story. Welcome, Diana.
1: Hello. Hi, Amy. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. How are you?
1: I'm good.
0: So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about you and your family?
1: Well, my husband is Hayin And we've been together for eight years, married for four years. We have four kids. We just recently had a baby, actually, Zion. He's one month old. So that's exciting. Yeah. That's crazy.
0: <laughs> I know. I do, I have a three month old. So our little cousins are going to grow up together.
1: <laughs> that's going to be really fun to watch that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So we have our oldest, he's Elijah, he's seven, Eden is five, Jonah is three.
0: Okay, so let's start off by um, you telling us a little bit about your pregnancy and whether you had any complications with uh, Jonah, because he's three years old and he's the one that was in the NICU, right?
1: Yeah, we were in the NICU for about a month.
0: Okay, okay. Mm
1: I had a relatively easy pregnancy up until 23 weeks. Um, everything was going fine. I was seeing a normal OB and a normal, having my normal doctor's appointments. And then I got a phone call one day that said, they told me, oh, you need to go to a specialist. He's a perinatologist. One of your lab results from your second trimester blood screenings came back abnormal. And they couldn't elaborate. And I had to wait three weeks to see the perinatologist in my area because he's the only one that I had to see. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what do you mean? It's abnormal. And she said, yeah, we can't really tell you. You have to go see him. So I went to see him. And basically at 23 weeks, they told me the baby wasn't growing as much as he should, like to his scale. He was way behind his schedule, two and a half or three weeks behind his schedule.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And when you were pregnant, did you notice that you weren't gaining any weight or did it show in your pregnancy that that the baby wasn't growing?
1: Actually, no. The uter- My uterus was growing normal. Oh, okay. It was just the baby was not. And at the time, they were telling me, we don't know what it is yet. We don't know what it is yet. It was always that we don't know, we have to keep checking day appointment by appointment type of update that I would get on him.
0: Oh, man. And what what were some feelings that you were having when they would tell you these like vague answers?
1: It was up until, so from 23 weeks to 28 weeks, I had to go every week to the doctor's twice a week. And they, at that first perinatologist, he basically was saying, oh, I don't know what's wrong. He has inner inner uterine growth restriction, which is basically he's not growing up to scale. And that's all they would tell me. And I said, well, what does that mean? Can you please elaborate? Oh, we don't know yet. We just have to check your next appointment at your stress test. Check, Check your next ultrasound for growth. And it got to the point at one of my, I believe I was 25 weeks along, and he had told me, I see something funny in his liver. Something's wrong with the liver. And I said, okay, can you please tell me? And he goes, well, basically, something's wrong with the liver. He has some type of fistula, and then he also has a two-vessel cord of the umbilical cord. And I said, well, what happens if there's a defect in the umbilical cord? And he tells me, well, either he gets better or he dies. And he was very, he was not sympathetic towards me. I had no idea what to even think. And he said, well, I have to refer you to Loma Linda maternal fetal medicine. This is out of my scope. So now I'm getting transferred to an even higher scope of care because this doctor who's supposed to know doesn't know. Mm -hmm. So that left me terrified. I remember that appointment like it was yesterday. It was the worst appointment in the world. I was so angry because I felt like you're supposed to know things. You can't send me on an appointment and tell me you don't know and you can't handle this. That's what I felt like, you know? And it made it sound like the whole world was falling down. Like my whole world was just caving in around me and there was nothing I could do to like control that, you know? So continuing the story, we made it to Loma Linda. It happened very fast. They were amazing with me. I was at the main campus in Loma Linda, California, and at 28 weeks, I had a NICU appointment with actually all the doctors from the NICU, so they had told me what to expect as far as, your baby's not growing, he's not doing well, Um, you're going to have to come see us twice a week, we have to monitor you very closely, 24-7, for the baby, and basically whenever we see any sign of distress, he's going to come out, so you're going to be prepared that no matter what, he's going to be in NICU. And we won't know the extent as far as cognitive, as far as physical, if he can even breathe on his own type of situation until he comes out. So it's like a ticking time bomb is what I'm feeling like. You know what I mean? Right,
0: right, right. And then knowing that your baby was in the NICU – Um, what were some things you had to mentally prepare for in knowing that you may not hold the baby or do all the things that you had done with your first two children?
1: Um, They basically prepared me for every scenario that I didn't even know could happen or wasn't even thinking about at the time you know, because here we are sitting in this meeting room that I've never been in a meeting room in a hospital before with long tables and huge windows. So I felt very, very intimidated. Mm -hmm. And there was like five doctors and the staff, some of the lead nurses were in there, like, they really prepare you. And they basically said, from his brain to his bladder we're gonna prepare you if he can't breathe he's gonna have a ventilator if he's having heart problem he's gonna he might have heart failure so he might need a transplant he might need some type of blood transfusion if his um if he's anemic like they basically told me every single situation i could prepare for and in a way i think that was more scarier because i was expecting the worst to happen like what if he has to have heart surgery and he's only four pounds what how can he even survive like i think it was worse for me knowing everything that could happen
0: so after how many weeks did you well at how many weeks did you end up having to give birth
1: i gave birth to him at 34 weeks He was doing semi-okay. The week before I gave birth to him, there was a scare that he wasn't performing well on his stress test, which is basically you're on a a monitor for 30 minutes, and he has to do all of his – it's like a test, like a point system. And if he doesn't perform on the point system, then you have to stay over. And the point system is basically, is his heart going up and down like it's supposed to? is Or is it stagnant, just staying a constant beat? Because the up and down means he's moving. But he wasn't moving as much as he should. He would always fail. So they thought he was anemic. And they were like, well, he might need a blood transfusion inside your uterus. And I said, how is that even going to work? We have to keep you overnight and then see. So that was a week prior. So i am they're already preparing me that I have to deliver. And at that time, my blood pressure was up through the roof and I had preeclampsia.
0: Mm.
1: So they actually induced me for the preeclampsia, not because of the baby.
0: And when you were 34 weeks, um, if we can go back a little bit. You said you were 34 weeks and... What was he growing at when you said you gave birth?
1: At 34 weeks, he was three pounds, and he was um, two and a half weeks behind his growth. So, and they had cla- they had classified that that he was in um, the one percent range one per- less than one percentile.
0: Mm.
1: So he was three pounds when he was born.
0: Oh wow, it's tiny.
1: It was scary because I remember that day prior leading up to this when I had got admitted as like an an accepted patient for the high-risk clinic, they had started giving you these shots, these steroid shots to help the baby's lungs develop. And I had to do it four times just in case they had to deliver. And the day of that day, I had happened to be there for an appointment and I had to get the shot and they said, well, your blood pressure isn't looking good. You're having really high blood pressure. And I had all the symptoms of preeclampsia as a headache and blurry vision. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of afraid to tell them that because they induce you when you have that. And I didn't want to be induced because I didn't want him to be born yet. Because the longer he's inside, the better he is and the more he grows and, everything and they had told me oh you need to deliver so I just started crying I was so afraid oh,
0: man was um was hide with you your husband with you when they told you this or were you by yourself
1: I was by myself when they had told me they need to stay and be induced and have him he had to get off work and come early so I was all alone and afraid and I just remember I called him and I was just crying and crying because I didn't know what to expect right. at all.
0: Oh my gosh. I can't even, I can't even imagine that. Um, so how long after they induced you, did you have Jonah?
1: I believe it was two days later.
0: Okay. Did you have him natural or did you have to go into a C-section?
1: I had him naturally, um, but it was all a blur because when you're induced with preenclampsia, They put you on this medicine through your IV called magnesium sulfate, and it basically it hits everyone differently. For me, it made me very sleepy and very drowsy. Oh, okay. So, I just the only thing I remember from the day we delivered him was me screaming, um, "Is he breathing? Is he breathing?" That's all I remember. And then I just kind of had a blackout.
0: So did you even get to see him when he was born?
1: I got a glimpse of him. But as soon as I had him, there was a huge team of doctors in my room. And it was really sad because Haid didn't get to cut the cord. I didn't get to hold him and do the skin to skin. All they did was show me him. And then I was screaming "Is he breathing. And then they took him away. And then Haid went with him where they work on him. And it took like, I think, four hours to get him stable to where John or Haid could actually see him and hold him.
0: And how long was it before you were able to go down into the NICU?
1: It was a couple of hours after. Um, because of the magnesium sulfate, it makes you to where you can't even get up and you can't even move. So I was really sick and really drowsy, and I had to be on oxygen because I couldn't breathe that well. Um, so it, i had—I saw him a couple hours, I want to say like eight or nine hours after.
0: Oh, that must have felt like forever. Were you aware of that time passing, or were you kind of like sleepy and drowsy and kind of not even conscious?
1: I wasn't really conscious. I was pretty much sleeping the whole time because it has to run a full 24 hours in your system.
0: Okay, I see. So now tell me about the actual NICU stay for Jonah. Um, Knowing that he was in there because of his growth restriction, did you expect worse? Or when you saw him, what did you feel?
1: I felt really like... Okay. So you're a mom, right? right? You feel like your body is a vessel to protect your kids. Like that's what God instilled in you to do. You have this task of, this is my baby. This pregnancy is supposed to be beautiful. I'm supposed to protect him and care for him. That's my job. I felt like I failed him because I didn't know why that had happened, you know, and it made it worse because I didn't have answers as to why he was so small, and why he could have all these potential problems. So I just felt like a failure in that aspect, you know, gosh, that's so hard,
0: especially because you've had two other healthy children. It's like, you don't understand why this time it it didn't work the way You thought it would. You had a completely different outlook and expected something different than what reality was.
1: Oh, it changed everything.
0: Now, once you started in the NICU stay, what are some of the complications he actually did have once he was in there?
1: Well, he had jaundice. So they, they got him there. They did a full scan of him. And it was amazing and a miracle that he could breathe on his own. He didn't need a ventilator. He needed a breathing tube. I'm sorry, a feeding tube. He needed a feeding tube um, because they didn't let me breastfeed him. I didn't get to do all that of the breastfeeding experience. They had told me just to pump and we'll feed him. And even when the tube was out, he could um, take the bottle. So the only thing that they were watching for him was his liver to make sure the blood was flowing in the right direction. Because he did have the fistula, where if it goes in the backwards direction, he could have heart failure. So that was one of the biggest things that they were concerned about. And
0: can you explain a little bit what artesia fistula is?
1: They had kind of explained it to me. An artery in his um, liver was connected wrong as far as to his heart. So if it was to back up and flow differently and go to his heart, it would um, create a problem where he could have a heart failure.
0: For how long did he need the feeding tube?
1: It was about a week and a half.
0: Okay. And then after that, he started taking the bottle?
1: Yeah. After that, he started taking the bottle. They would up his feedings. He did have jaundice, though, so we couldn't hold him for the first two and a half weeks because he had it very badly.
0: So tell me about how you guys managed because... I also was in Loma Linda, but I think I'm a little bit closer to Loma Linda than you are. You're probably, what, an hour away?
1: On a good day, 45 minutes away. Yeah. Um, but if you're in traffic, it's a really long time. So they had offered us the Ronald McDonald House, and at that time, my in-laws were still living in Merino Valley, so I stayed in Merino Valley with my in-laws, and I would drive there. Mm-hmm. Um, twice a day,
0: so you would go twice a day, like in the morning and then in the evening. That was your like daily schedule.
1: Yes, because just to give my mother in law a break from the kids, Ethan and Eli, she would watch them because Haid was working at the time. He hadn't gotten his work approval uh-huh. yet, so he still had to commute to work. So he stayed in Marietta, and he would come at night when he got off work.
0: How did you deal with that? because I, I I felt a lot of shame and guilt knowing that my baby was in the NICU because like you said, we were supposed to protect our babies and now they're in the NICU and I struggled a lot um, in being able to separate myself from the situation and say this is just what happened, this is what God's put in front of us and we just have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. What are some things you did to help you keep yourself sane?
1: Um. At first, it was really hard to be able to step away because I want to be there 24-7. I want to know what the doctors say when they round on him in the morning and when they round at night. I want to know his, what happens with his bath. I want to know everything. So I was really it was really hard for me to say, okay, I'm going to go get some lunch in the cafeteria or I'm going to go take a shower. I'm going to go to my in-laws and take a shower you know, um, because I didn't want him to be alone. So my mother-in-law would talk to me and tell me, you know, Diana, it's okay. The doctors have him. The nurses have him. You can come take a shower. You can come go watch a movie with the kids. So I think my mother-in-law helped me a lot to realize that I don't, I have to be there, but then sometimes you need to step away you're going to go crazy in there if you don't. And that's really sad to say because then you have that guilt and you're torn in two different directions. So I didn't really cope with it as well as I could have looking back on it because I think most of me was just very angry at the world, you know. And it's
0: hard, you know. It's so easy to allow anger to set in um, because it – it's a baby. And we see them as so innocent that, you know, no baby deserves to be in the NICU. And I feel for all the parents out there. But I'm glad that, you know, what's important, I feel, is that you have support people next to you to help ground you like, you know, your mother-in-law was doing, ground you to help you bring you back to reality. Like, this is okay. Like, you can go ahead and stay home or take care of yourself a little bit so you are better for for the baby. And I think That by having good support system helps you not just give in to the anger because you create bitterness and you wanted to be the best mom you can be. But it's hard when you have that sadness and that anger and that depression, even the first few weeks after they come home.
1: When we got home, it was better. I mean, I was terrified to have a little four-pound baby at my house. (laughs) I was thinking, like, he's way too little to be home, but that's when Haid, my husband, really helped me a lot as far as coping and not being so angry, and he kind of helped me restore my faith back in God, because I did feel like I lost it for a second, yeah. you know? Yeah,
0: that's, that's great, and I'm so happy that, you know, you had your partner or the father also help you in that, because you don't go through this alone. You know, you, both of you guys are in pain and both of you guys are experiencing the, the loss. Cause there is loss in having a NICU baby. You, you're losing the idea of what your baby's life would look like. Right. You kind of have to let go of that and just accept the baby as he is and be happy and content with his own progress in his own time. So in having that partner, your, your husband there with you, I think that it creates, it helps you guys be closer together in unity and just lean on each other. I think And I think that's a huge component in a family going through the NICU process.
1: We really didn't, I remember we really didn't talk about it much. I think he was, and then I feel bad in that aspect too, because I feel like he was the one who had to be the rock he wasn't pregnant, like he were going through it together. But we both knew we were going to have a NICU baby. And we knew we were going to have a huge mountain to climb. But I felt like he needed to he was needing to be the strong one. So maybe he didn't really get to have a lot of feeling is like feeling sad. At the end of the day, he was the soundboard. He was <laughs> everything that I needed him to be, and then some, you know, because I think it could either make you as a couple or it could break you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you definitely have those trials.
0: So going back to Jonah, the asphyxia that he had, did it resolve itself on its own or did he need to have antibiotics or any type of treatment?
1: Um, From all of his appointments, they said it didn't need to be intervened that his body, this is the miracle of God, how he comes in, because they said his body and his heart and liver learned to adapt to how it was flowing. Even though it's an abnormal flow, and it doesn't flow like yours and mine, they basically said that we, if he wasn't in the NICU, and if he didn't have all the tests that he had had, that we wouldn't have known that he had had it. That's how kind of um, it resolved itself on its
0: own. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That That is a miracle.
1: It was insane because I was like, okay, they're wringing they're my head and hitting me over the head with this fistula problem that, oh, he has this. He has this. You need to be careful. And then for it to resolve on its own after, it was really a miracle of God because now he doesn't have any problems that he should have had, I guess being so small yeah you know
0: and when he was in the NICU were there any other issues that like any close calls or any difficult moments that he struggled with or was it little by little he just had to get stronger
1: he had to get stronger little by little we didn't the doctors didn't have to intervene um like they thought they would
0: that's great I'm so happy to hear that because you know, you hear some stories out there of babies that, ha- that do go through some, like, really difficult times in there, and they're really um, fighting for their lives, and they're up and down. Like, one minute they're good, and then the next minute they're not. And to know that, you know, Jonah just needed a little bit extra help for him to do it on his own, it's amazing. So I'm really happy that he, he didn't have to have them all those interventions.
1: Definitely. It was really a blessing. So now the only thing he has is a heart murmur, but they said he will grow out of
0: it. Yeah, that's good.
1: So we've been monitoring for that through Loma Linda. Nice. but
0: Yeah, praise God. Um, so once you took him home, has he been able to progress fine? There's no issues, um, any infections or anything like that that he struggled with?
1: No, as soon as we got him home, it took him a while. Actually, no, I should rewind that. He um, He's just behind on his growth. So they said he would catch up with his growth and his weight as far as um, being normal to scale, about five or six years old. Mm. So he's just tall and skinny.
0: So <laughs> <Okay>. cute. <laughs> So did you have to go into any therapies once you were graduated from the NICU? Like, did you have to have any physical therapy or occupational therapy?
1: There was a program that I don't remember the name of it, but I remember they would deliver me formula to my door. I think it was CSS or something along those lines. They had given me an option for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's called CCS. I'm in that program as well.
1: Yeah, they said if he did need it, it's on standby but in that they would be in communications with the doctor. He didn't need any of that. He just needed the extra help. Mm. Extra TLC is what we called it.
0: <laughs> nice. Um, so in what ways has this experience made you stronger and in what ways has it changed you? I know you mentioned that it restored your faith in God. So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Um, during the pregnancy... You know, he was planned, so we were really excited, we were really happy, and then when we found out about the problem, that's when I felt like everything did a 360 for me. Um, I remember talking with my friends, or even my family members, my aunt, for example, she would tell me about her day, just casual conversation, and then I would roll my eyes, and I would find myself getting angry because I was feeling like, there's bigger problems in the world, then what's going on, you know, and I just felt a reality for everything like
0: a new perspective.
1: A new, yeah, that's the better word. A new perspective because I was hit in the face with this is real. Like mm-hmm. I could be pregnant and not have a baby when I come home from the hospital, you know. So that just made me really question the motive of God because I felt why would he do this? Why would he give me this blessing and make it good and then make it bad? But I think looking back on that situation now and been going to church and just been learning more about trials and things that it is just really, okay, he gives this to you, but he can give you a way to handle it. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree 100% in that, that, you know, God gives you these trials, like he gives you these difficulties, but in a way, it's too, it it's for something bigger. You know, he has the baby in his hands, obviously, you know, he, Jonah is a testament of God's glory and the way he could just restore a little baby's body. in just, you know, a mere 30 days, he was fine to go home, you know, like, that's, yeah. that's a miracle. But Aside from that, I think that sometimes he uses trials to teach us a lesson, or to help us see his own glory and to show us that he that he is real.
1: Yeah, I fully, I fully support that and agree with that a hundred percent.
0: Yeah. So, what advice would you give someone going through the NICU experience, like a mom? What would you tell her?
1: I would tell her that it's okay to feel all the feelings that you're supposed to feel that you don't have to feel um strong it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to feel sad it's okay to feel angry but most importantly you need to have your faith and you need to have love um if I could go back and do my personal experience differently I would have more love and less anger being there and look at it differently um I would tell her that it's okay if you have other kids. It's okay to not to step away from the NICU baby because you know he's in the best possible place he could be, and you don't have to have that mommy guilt of I'm not with my other kids. They're... that was another thing I struggled with a lot too. So I would tell them go spend time with your kids. At least take four hours of the day. To be with your other kids and try and be a little normal.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that 100%. It's so easy to just be so focused on the newborn and the Nikki baby that you completely lose sight of the fact that you have these other children who also want your attention. I know with my daughter, I had a hard time really giving her um, just purposeful attention where we are focused on something and we weren't just kind of like, going through the day because I just felt zoned out anytime I wasn't in the hospital. So it's hard, but I think it's really important to be to take an active role as a parent to spend specific time with your, with your other children. So I think that's great advice. So um, you got a lot of support from your family and from your husband. Were there any social media accounts or any um, things out there like resources that helped you get through this time and were the most influential to
1: you my best friend Shelby helped me a lot um, and the aspect of realism as far as this is your reality now it's this is your new normal so you have to kind of deal with that and I also started a, a Facebook page it's called Jonah's Journey and I kind of explained his story there a little bit. Um, I haven't posted much on it because I kind of felt like it was it's a kind of a closed chapter as far as his progressions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a lot of venting outside yeah.
0: to do yeah Um, I did I started posting things also about my baby and, and for some reason just throwing it out in the world and putting it out there and just receiving all those positive messages like that made such a huge difference in knowing that people out there care about my baby even though they don't know him you know and I think exactly. um, that I just think sharing the story is just like a way of release as well so I think that um, you got that from um, posting on his Facebook. I remember following along,
1: so. Yeah, definitely. Um, it just, at first I was kind of nervous to even post something on and make a page about it. Because I was thinking like, oh, nobody really would care mm-hmm. type of vibe. But it turns out like if you put it out there and kind of be vulnerable, and share a little bit of insight. Um, it's a whole different reaction than what I thought it would get.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was completely blown away as well by everyone's reaction to my experience. So uh, I'm right there with you. So I would suggest to moms out there to to really let the story out and see, you know, how it penetrates in people's hearts because all those prayers and everyone united for just like one cause mm-hmm. is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and that they're not alone in the world and that people go through this. It's actually really common for babies to even be in the NICU for a week or a couple days because, you know, they swallowed some fluid on delivery or they need to be under observation. Any NICU stay is really terrifying no matter how severe or non-severe it is.
0: Yeah. So just two more questions. One, I just would like to know if you had like a prayer or a mantra or maybe a verse that you continually repeated to yourself to help you stay hopeful and stay strong.
1: And when we got home, that's when I prayed the most because that's when I kind of felt more that God was like not against me. Mm -hmm. Um, But during the NICU, I kind of felt like, I would pray for him, but I didn't really do any Bible verses for that, which is another thing that I would have changed. You know what I
0: mean? It sounds like you maybe put yourself a little bit numb to help yourself not lose it.
1: Yeah, I I completely did. I tried not to have a... Any type of feeling.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I, I get that. And that's understandable. And so where can listeners connect with you online?
1: Well, if anybody wants to get to know our family more or connect with us, if they have any questions or any, just any comments or anything at all, you can find me on Facebook at Diana Velasco. Or you can reach out on Jonah's Facebook page. It's Jonah's Journey. Um, I'm always willing to help anybody and just, if you need, even need a soundboard or sometimes it helps talking to someone that you don't even know, then I'm all for it. I will listen anyway and help any way that I can.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, Diana. I appreciate all your openness and vulnerability and willingness to share about Jonah's story. He is a beautiful baby boy and, um, thankful that you're it able to do this to help other moms out
1: thanks so much for having me i'm really glad we both got to talk about it thank you so much
0: thank you so much diana for sharing the story of jonah i hope you guys enjoyed hearing her story and find value and hope i'm so happy to know that little jonah is growing and thriving good job little one join me again in two weeks to hear another story of a tiny miracle until then stay strong and don't lose hope